this planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's space crew talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add space crew talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With Space Croutons. Welcome, gentle listeners, to this episode of Space Croutons from right here in the back of Van Helsing, somewhere in the good old U.S. of A. I'm your host, Curdy Clamberwood, along with Sally, our new AI production assistant. Say hello to our listeners, Sally. Welcome, gentle listeners, to this episode of Space Scrutons. I am your host, Cordy Clamor. Sally, you're just repeating what I said. I am sorry, Cordy. I was stuck in transcription mode. I think it was the puddle you hit about a mile before we parked. Oh, I'm sorry, Sally. Yeah, that pothole was almost the size of a moon crater, wasn't it? Well, I will try to be more careful in the future. Okay, people. We have had some pretty wild tales up to now, and I know some of you are eager to get on to this episode's story. But before we do, let's let Sally play a message from our sponsor of the day, Wade Waters, with his nifty little tune, Hearing Voices. Take it away, Sally. All my life, hearing voices. Good or bad, wrong or right, day or night, hearing voices, but the choices that I'm making never seem to me so black or white, sitting still, hearing voices. In the dark, in the light, try to find hearing voices, but the noises just keep running and they hide from me just out of sight. I hear the poor. And the weak and the weary Those without power To finally have their say I hear the angry And those who suffer dearly I hear their song And it's getting so much louder every day 
Okay, Wade, Wade on out of here. He's hearing voices, and I think you got to agree that's exactly what we want to do today. What do you say, Sally? Are you ready for Haley's story? How can you be sure it is not Haley's story? Well, I'm pretty sure it's Haley's story. People were sure it was Haley's comet, but they were wrong. Well, sure, but people are only human, right? And besides, she spelled it H-A-L-E-Y. What if she misspelled it? Misspelled her own name. She's only human, right? Never you mind. Instead, let's tune into the voice of Haley. Or Haley. Sally with a story I just happened to come across recently under unusual circumstances. Perhaps too coincidental to believe, but I assure you, completely true. As my old daddy used to say, there are more miracles wrought each day than Carter's has pills, so either believe it or take a pill and go to sleep. Anyway, there I was, driving Van Helsing through the Florida panhandle when I stopped into a thrift store on the outskirts of the town of Defuniac Springs. It's a fact that no matter where I meander on this fantastic journey, I always stop to check wherever I can for yet another Beatles album to enhance my rather impressive vinyl collection. <laughs> and it was in this overly cluttered thrift store that I lucked up on an original pressing of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Well, the album cover was in great shape, with the band members' bold, brilliantly colored jackets not the least bit faded. Add to that how much I love the song Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and there was no chance I was going to leave without that album. Now, before making the purchase, I usually inspect the LP itself for damage, but hey, I was going to buy it anyway, so whatever. I just grabbed it paid, and headed back out into the Florida heat. But when I got back to the van, well, Sally here reminded me I should at least check the overall condition for my own peace of mind. And so I pulled out the record and the album liner notes. That's when I found this folded, two-page, double-sided, handwritten letter tucked inside. Now, I am not one to read other people's mail, but I figured since I paid for the album, that made the letter mine by law, even though it was not addressed to me. And was I super excited by what I found? You bet I was. Why the letter ended up here, I have no clue. But the contents of the letter were far from mundane, and I feel the information contained therein, worthy to share with all our listeners. So, here it is. Dear Aunt Rochelle, from your response, response to my, to my first, first letter, letter, I can, I tell, can tell that, that you, you are very skeptical about my experiences. I don't blame you. Mom refuses to discuss it with me anymore, so you are my last hope for some family support. Our family's not famous for supporting each other or even finding common ground, but I pray you will keep an open mind. The box of items I found buried in a corner of our attic belonged to my great-grandmother, Penny Ruth, your maternal grandmother, as I'm sure you know. There was a dance card from her high school prom with her elegant script on it, a silk pillowcase printed with a colorful Niagara Falls scene, and several items that looked to be of Native American origin wrapped in strips of very old calico fabric. I have been researching the relics, and the most interesting item to me is a large medallion. It is the object that caused all of the discord in our family, and now I can understand why no one ever discussed Penny Ruth at all. 
All Mom would say is that she fell into a coma when she was in her late 40s and stayed that way for 25 years until she passed away. I am hoping you know more about her story and why the family fell apart when she was lost in the coma. The medallion is approximately six inches across and circular with an etching of a turtle on one side and some very unusual symbols around the outer edge on the reverse side. I have learned that this type of jewelry was worn by men of the Muscogee tribe. I searched the internet for large medallions and found several pictures of Muscogee leaders wearing medallions similar to the one I found in Penny Ruth's box. The local Muscogee leader here in Walton County has graciously examined the medallion and she confirmed that in her community, members would often inscribe their jewelry with symbols showing their family affiliations. She could not explain the odd symbols on the back, but she took pictures of both sides of the medallion to send to a tribal historian for review. She promised to get back to me soon. You may think that I'm making up the events that happened to me related to this medallion, but I beg you to think of even one reason I would fabricate a story like that. What could I possibly gain from spinning such a fantastic tale? I don't know how it is possible, but when I looked through those holes, I was transported back more than 200 years. I had taken the box onto the covered front porch at our house, along with a banana sandwich and a sweet tea. Our air conditioner was on the fritz, and the only relief to be had was a scattered breeze that was fickle enough to blow my way once in a while. I noticed the two large holes in the upper portion of the medallion. From the paintings of the Muscogees I had seen on the internet, I knew the holes were used to affix the medallion to a cord. I'm still not sure what prompted me to raise the ornament up to my eyes to look through the holes, but I did it. At first, it was just for fun. I was being silly, you know. All at once, I felt a tingling sensation, like when you're sitting outside on your porch on a hot and humid summer afternoon and you can smell the rain coming. The hair on my arms stood on end, and then came the tingling over my entire body. I closed my eyes for a moment, and when I opened them, I was in a Muskogee village. In the beginning, it seemed like I was viewing everything through a pair of cloudy binoculars, but then things came into focus. I saw several women working in a garden and some men erecting large poles in a nearby field. The smell of a wood-burning fire lingered on the air. I wondered first if I was in a living history village, like in Williamsburg, Virginia, because clearly these people were not in modern dress. Instead, they looked very similar to the artist's renderings of the Muscogee Nation I had been researching online. My second thought was that I was having a very vivid dream, but then I was struck by the silence. There were no vehicle noises, no humming of our neighbor's air conditioners, no jets from Eglin Air Force Base zooming overhead. Before I could make any further observations, a strikingly tall woman approached me. She had a long braid of auburn hair and was clearly not a Muscogee with her fair, freckled skin. The other women waved and greeted her in a language I could not understand. She took one look at me and asked, Are you Rochelle's daughter or Bertie May's daughter? 
I was totally stunned that she knew I was related to you just by looking at my features. She laughed at my dumbfounded expression, commenting, That chin and those sweet eyes mark you for sure. I asked her how she knew Mom and you, and that's when she told me her name, Penny Ruth. She wanted to know all about you and Mom, how you were doing, did you have other family, she told me that you had a small stuffed pony as a child that you dragged around everywhere until the material on the legs was rubbed almost completely away. Mom said she had utterly forgotten about that pony until I mentioned it. I've never heard anyone talk about that pony before, so you may take that as verification that what I'm telling you is the God's honest truth. Penny Ruth wanted to know everything about her family, her daughters, and her grandchildren. She seemed hungry to hear every little scrap of information that I could feed her. I told her what I could, but I didn't tell her about the rift in the family that happened after she fell into the coma. I just could not tell her that no one spoke of her anymore, or that her children did not speak to each other any longer. But she seemed to sense that I was holding something back from her. I pressed her with all my questions, but she refused to answer any of them, saying that it was not the time for me to know the answers yet. Penny Ruth suggested that I just enjoy the day with her. I was very frustrated, but I'm used to dealing with all the stubborn, strong-willed, independent women of our family. Now I know exactly where that trait originated in the family tree. It was festival time in the village, and I assisted with the preparations. I helped harvest pumpkins and winter squash from the garden and prepared food with Penny Ruth. She has the most musical laughter that brings joy when you hear it ringing out. After the evening meal, as dusk was falling, the people gathered to play instruments and sing. There was a marvelous feeling of family and community with the shared meal and the music. I was accepted without question after Penny Ruth told everyone that I was her relative. Even though I was completely out of my own element, surprisingly, I also felt at peace. Just before I was pulled back to the present, I heard the most compelling tune played on a wooden flute. I have copied the notes here for you so you can play it on your piano. You know I have never professed to be a composer of any kind, but I have always been quick to learn a new song. While I did not understand or retain the words, the notes have been stuck in my head. This tune is haunting my sleep. I find myself humming it during the day at random times. I had but a moment's notice before I found myself back on the front porch. The ice in my orange pico completely melted, but the drink itself still chilled enough to be refreshing. So I surmised that my sojourn into the past had not lasted more than 30 minutes. You advised me in your last missive not to look through the medallion holes again, but I'm determined to find out what happened to Penny Ruth. I have so many questions. Was she trapped in the past? Could she travel back and forth through time as I did? How did the medallion come into her possession? Was it her choice to stay with the Muskogee? Did she somehow control her own destiny? I know it sounds crazy. I mean, how could I meet my great-grandmother in a past that was not her own when she died before I was even born? The medallion is the key, and I feel sure that it came to me for a reason. I hope you will believe me. 
Please come see us so I can show you the medallion and you can see for yourself the truth of what I am saying. I will make it all right with Mom for you to come. Please come. Your loving niece, Haley. Well, there you have it. Told you it was a doozy. In the letter, Haley. Or Hallie. Sally. Hallie. Haley. Transcribed in a few measures the musical notes for the haunting tune she mentioned. For the benefit of our listeners, I am going to have a go at playing that tune on a wooden flute that I made using Haley's written score. Here we go. Okay, it's not Lennon and McCartney, but what do you think? Well, now that we've shared this with you, we would love to know more of this story. So I'm appealing to all of our listeners, especially those in Northwest Florida. If you know this family or have seen this or another medallion like this and can add to the story in any way, please just give us a call. Shoot us an email or bring your insights to bear in whatever fashion moves you to get the job done. It would be greatly appreciated. Well, that's it for this episode. This is Curdy and Sully saying so long for now. We hope you keep listening and will share with us any insights you might have pertaining to these stories you've heard here. And as we close out and roll the credits, please stay strong, help each other, and remember that we are in this together. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. What if planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey? And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic robot automatic moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's space crew talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add space croutons for lunching with Lucy in the sky. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With space croutons. Space croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode 7 Story by Della. Original music and production by Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Della and Jeff and Sally. Entire work. Copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch Audio production.